From the hallowed hallways of Shed High School, from WSHDLP Eastport, this is Round the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane from Eastport, Maine. Stay tuned for historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world. We're going to begin the boarding process for this modern all-metal tri-motor airplane for service to various of the world's island paradises, starting right here in the island paradise of Eastport, Maine, located on beautiful Moose Island. Get comfortable while your luggage is stowed directly inside the corrugated wings and we'll soon be on our way. This Ford 4AT, also known as the Tin Goose, only holds nine passengers. So if there are more than nine of you listeners gathered around the radio, we ask that the excess passengers leave the room. Go in the kitchen and start rustling up some dinner for everybody else. Our itinerary includes stops to visit noteworthy islands in Maine and Canada, then head south to the Bahamas, over to Europe, then various Pacific islands, including Hawaii, before finally heading home for supper. At each island paradise stop, uniformed tour guides will give a stimulating and informative description of said island, both instrumentally and through song. It will only take a few minutes to reach our first stop, Mount Desert Island, home to Bar Harbor. Here is Ben Selvin and his 1925 orchestra to give a musical description. Desert Isle.
That was Ben Selvin and his orchestra with their 1925 Desert Isle. We have departed from Mount Desert Island and are now heading west and are about to land on Treasure Island in Ontario, Canada. The 500 miles was traversed in just three minutes, giving us an airspeed of 10,000 miles per hour. During that three minutes, the passengers have been treated to invasive green crab canopies and complimentary beverages. Now tour guides Edith Wright with Tommy Dorsey and his orchestra are meeting us on the tarmac to give us the 1935 skinny on Treasure Island.
an island on the St. Lawrence Seaway. That 1941 description provided by Bob Eberly with Jimmy Dorsey and his orchestra. And before pontooning the nine miles over to the Isle of Pines, we toured Treasure Island in Ontario with Edith Wright and Tommy Dorsey and his orchestra incorrectly claiming the island supported palm trees. Most likely a Chamber of Commerce exaggeration. We are jetting around the globe in a Ford 4AT tri-motor aeroplane to find out what other island paradises besides East Port Maine are like. So far we visited Mount Desert Island and a couple islands in the St. Lawrence Seaway. Now we're heading down to the Caribbean and as we taxi on the runway of Paradise Isle in the Bahamas, here is Ned Shilkret and his orchestra to provide their 1927 musical description.
We just traveled from the Bahamas to the Isle of May in Scotland in three minutes, an incredible 100,000 miles per hour in our tri-motor aeroplane, while our nine passengers enjoyed perusing complimentary back issues of low-powered DJ Quarterly. On the Isle of May, we were greeted by Kenny Baker and the David Breckman Orchestra with their 1940 update. Before that, Nat Shilkret and his orchestra gave us a 1927 musical tribute to Paradise Isle in the Bahamas. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport, and round the world is touring island paradises. The stewardess is yours truly, Cracklin' Jane. Sky King Keith is our captain. We have already removed from the Isle of May in Scotland and are soon ready to touch down on the Isle of Capri in Italy. Freddie Martin and his orchestra stand poised to act as our 1934 tour guides. still see the flowers blooming round her where we met on the isle of capri she was as sweet as a rose at the dawning but somehow fate hadn't meant her for me and though i sailed with the tide in the morning still my heart's on the isle of capri summertime was nearly over blue italian sky above I said, lady, I'm a rover. Can you spare a sweet word of love? She whispered softly, it's best not to linger. And then as I kissed her hand, I could see she wore a plain golden ring on her finger. T'was goodbye on the Isle of Capri.
Isabella, that little Swiss isle, Isola Bella, where flowers smile and send their perfume by every summer breeze. It stirs my memory of long ago. Isola Bella, that magical phrase is like a token of happy days and nights of romance that once I used to know. Isola Bella, so long. All the day, just because life is gay, life is gay all the time, like the sparkle of wine, and the wine is as sweet as the kisses that greets you for love, for love is in the airy soul of where love is a king, and life's a sweet song for all to sing. Oh, my beloved, no more I'll ever roam. Isola Bella, I'm coming home. That was Harry Cool with Dick Jurgens and his orchestra with their 1940 tour guide of Isola Bella, which, by the way, is not a little Swiss isle. It's Italian. It's located on the Lago Maggiore, which does extend into Switzerland, but come on, guys. Let's chip in and buy an atlas for Harry Cool and Dick Jurgens. Before them, we heard from Freddie Martin with his 1934 musical description of the Isle of Capri. And if you don't mind, we'll take a short jaunt into the continent of science fiction. Let's head over to the Isle of Zorda, dreamed up by Jules Verne, which may or may not be located on the northern coast of Africa. Here it is musically realized by the 1922 Markles Orchestra.
was Georgia White with Male Plane Blues from 1941. I wonder if the Male Plane is an ultra-modern all-metal Ford 4AT trimotor such as the one we've been traveling in this hour. Okay, let's continue on our whirlwind world tour of island paradises. We are ready to land on the Malaysian Isle of Kichimaiboko. We've been traveling for six minutes from Italy, a distance of over 6,000 miles, averaging just over 60,000 miles per hour. And we're touching down on the International Grass Strip with no lights, no tower, no hangar. But never fear, here is Evelyn Dahl with Ambrose and his 1937 orchestra on the Isle of Kichimaiboko. Thank you. 
On the beach at Bali Bali, which we think may be in Indonesia. We have to double check our astrolabe. Connie Boswell with the Bob Crosby Orchestra gave us the 1936 Lowdown. Before that, Evelyn Dahl with Ambrose and his orchestra told us about some strange anthropological practices on the Isle of Kichi Mai Boko, another island paradise. Ever wonder what it would be like to be completely isolated? Not just for a few months in the winter, or for a year during COVID, but for centuries or millennia. What if you and your family and friends were stuck on an island in the middle of the ocean, cut off from all contact with the world at large? What happens to human culture, and how do animals and plant species evolve to compensate for scarce resources and 
perhaps lack of predators. Without outside influences, you might develop some pretty strange practices. During World War II, many of the tiny inhabited islands in the Pacific were used as bases or storage depots for the war effort. The islanders suddenly saw people coming from the sky with unspeakable wealth, different foods and clothing and supplies. After the war, all the outside wealth disappeared. Many religions sprang up on these islands involving rituals to try to get the swag-bearing people to come back. They would do stuff like march around with wooden rifles and create giant model airplanes out of straw and clear landing strips in the jungle. These were known as cargo cults. Here's Freddie Slack and his eight beats with a 1941 musical description of Strange Cargo. Bye. 
was Dodo's Bounce, Lucky Thompson's Quartet. The Dodo was a bird from the island of Mauritius, which did fine until predatory European humans discovered the island in 1598. Within a hundred years, the Dodo had been hunted to extinction. Before that, we heard Freddie Slack and his eight beats with Strange Cargo. Both those fine musical selections were from 1941. Now let's get back in the plane and land on a secret, uncharted island. The Isle of Wicky Wacky Woo. Gene Rodimich's orchestra will give a glimpse of the 1923 mysterious arcana of this island.
We finally made it to Hawaii. That was Smith Ballou with the Ben Selvin Orchestra, my 1930 Hawaiian Isles. Before that, we were on the Isle of Wiki Wacky Woo with the assistance of Gene Rodimich's 1923 orchestra. Island paradises that are almost as beautiful as Moose Island, home of Eastport, Maine. One of the Hawaiian islands is Coral Isle. Here's Ray Kinney and his Royal Hawaiians to give us a tour before we head back home for some good grub. Breakers reach 
As they roll through the blue lagoon And the night-scented breeze Through the coconut trees In the calm of the tropic In the calm of the tropic Isle of Sweethearts, a.k.a. Moose Island, home of Eastport. Here we are, home again. That was Ben Selvin's orchestra in 1922. Check around your seat for any personal items before deplaning. Our thanks to Sky King Keith for piloting us safely back in time for dinner. And thus ends the musical portion of Round the World today. We piled into our ultra-modern all-metal Ford 4AT tri-motor airplane and toured various idyllic island paradises all over the globe. 
including some you won't find on any map. We went to Canada, the Caribbean, Europe, the South Seas, and returned to Maine via Hawaii. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. This is Round the World with Cracklin' Jane. And we haven't been kicked off the island yet. We hear next a 1946 episode of The Whistler. Murder on Rourke Island. So let's listen. is your signal for the signal oil program, The Whistler. I am The Whistler, and I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. Yes, friends, it's time for the Signal Oil program, The Whistler, rated by independent research the most popular West Coast program. In gasoline, you know, it takes extra quality to go farther. And Signal is the famous go-farther gasoline. So look for the Signal circle sign in yellow and black that identifies Signal service stations from Canada to Mexico. And now the Whistler's strange story. Murder on Rourke Island. murder on Rourke Island had a curious beginning. There was no hatred in Keith Brandon's mind, no anger, no malice. In the beginning, there was only relief and freedom and love for a girl named Kathy Dunn. As each small private club, he could see her across the floor standing near the piano the blue light working magic on the white satin of her evening gown. He smiled as he walked towards her. Hello, Kathy. I'm waiting for the man Aren't you, aren't you glad to see me? Please, Keith. Not now. What kind of welcome is this? We settled everything a year ago. Now, if you don't mind... Wait a minute. You've got to let me talk to you. There's nothing to talk about. Uh, Kathy. They're all watching us. Where's your dressing room? Please, Keith. I tell you, I've got to talk to you. That's all there is to it. If you want it in the middle of the floor, it's all right with me. Oh, all right, Keith. Go ahead. Now, you've got something to tell me. I suppose your father's changed his mind, put the seal of approval on nightclub singers. Haven't changed a bit, have you? The old, friendly approach. Well, let me tell you something first. You had a choice to make between me and your father, and you made it. As far as I'm concerned, it stands. You're pretty bitter, aren't you? I think I've a right to be. 
Kathy, I told you then that I loved you. Well, I always would. I meant it. Sure. Until father put his half-million-dollar estate up against me. It was different after that, wasn't it? Me or the money. Didn't take you long to decide. Is it true? Go right ahead. Father died last night. That's why I'm here. You're... You're free now? Yeah. I want you, Kathy. I love you. I wish I could believe Oh, Kathy... Please. Please, Keith, let me think. You know you love me, Kathy. Tell me. Oh, I... I do, Keith, darling. I do. It was worth waiting for, after all, wasn't it, Keith? The dominating, smothering influence of your father... His insistence that you live under his roof and eat at his table. That you jump every time he cracked the $500,000 whip he held over your head. For that long, terrible year after you made your decision to see it through to the end. But it was worth it. And they're both yours now, Kathy and the money. Or rather, the money and Kathy. Because you know in your heart that the money will always come first. There's a wonderful feeling of freedom inside you as you drive up the tree-lined drive of your Uncle Matt's estate the next morning. It seems there was something about the will. Uncle Matt? Oh, Keith, my boy. I'm glad you're on time. This is Mr. Bradbury, your father's lawyer, executor of the estate. Hi. How do you do? Sit down, Keith. Thanks. Mr. Bradbury and I have been talking over your father's will. Doesn't seem a little soon. 24 hours. That's the way he wanted it. 24 hours? What do you mean? It was part of his arrangement with me that the provisions of the will go into effect 24 hours after his death. The probate will come later, of course. That's why I called you in this morning, you see. I wonder why he didn't say anything to me about it. There are a lot of things he didn't talk to you about, Keith. What, for instance? His estate, for one thing. Now, wait a minute. You're not telling me... That was a change. No, no change. He promised me that when he died, I'd... You can relax, Keith. The estate is yours. All right, then. Suppose we get it over with. There must be some papers to sign Just a on. minute. The estate is yours, Keith. But it's your father's request that I hold it in trust for you. What kind of double talk is that? Now, take it easy, Mr. Listen, Bradley. Uncle... You better Mr. let me finish, Keith. According to the will, I am to hold the estate in trust. But there'll be monthly allotments to you out of the income. And you'll be eligible to receive them as long as... Go on. As long as you live with me under this roof. He can't do this to me. He's dead. That money's mine. Wait a minute, Keith. He tortured me, kept me prisoner in this house for years. He can't do it anymore. You hear? He's dead. He can't reach up out of his grave. Keith, of yourself. I don't care. I don't care. Sorry, I had to slap you, Keith. I just had to do it. Sit down. Uncle Matt. Sit down, I said. Now, whether you're aware of it or not, your father was very fond of you. He felt you still need someone to look out for you. Agree with him. I'm of age. I can take care of myself. You're a highly emotional young man, Keith. Not as stable as you might be. What do you mean, not stable? You did attempt suicide once over a girl. Oh, so what? I was a kid in high school. Well, maybe so. I remember it seemed pretty important to your father at the time. So I do a crazy thing in high school, and he decides I need a guardian for the rest of my life. 
Why are you trying to make excuses for him, Matt? You know what's behind it all as well as I do. He was a bitter, selfish old man who had to have things his own way even after he was dead. Well, this isn't getting us anywhere, Keith. Let's get the thing settled. Nothing I can do, then? Tell him, Bradbury. The will takes effect tonight, Mr. Brandon. According to its terms, you must live with your uncle six days out of every week. Suppose I refuse. The estate goes to the public hospital fund. I see. How long does this go on? As long as your uncle is alive. After that, I guess you're on your own. Mr. Bradbury, there's nothing in there about marriage, is there? What do you mean? Just a minute, Matt. Mr. Bradbury, supposing I decide to get married and bring my bride here to live, would I be fulfilling the terms of the will? You're not considering marriage, Keith. Answer my question, Mr. Bradbury. Why, no. There's nothing that would prevent it. Great. How'd you like to have another steady boarder, Uncle Matt? Who is it? Kathy Dunn. You broke up with her a year ago. I saw her last night. We're going to be married. When? Tomorrow, maybe. Any objections? You... You know how your father felt I about don't that. think that makes any difference now. Nice of the old boy to leave me a loophole. Suppose I refuse to allow her to come here. What about that, Mr. Bradbury? I'm afraid you can't, Matt. He has a legal right to marry and live with his wife. If you refuse to let her come here, you're preventing him from complying with the terms of the will. I see. Uncle Matt, you'd better set an extra place for dinner. I'm bringing Kathy with me. Well, Keith, you're feeling a little better as you drive away from the house toward Kathy's apartment on the other side of town. You're on top now for the first time since the whole maddening thing started 15 months ago, when your father suddenly decided he wanted you with him for the rest of his life. From then on, nothing made sense. There were no explanations, no reasons for anything. He knew when the cards were down, you'd do anything for that half million. And he was right, wasn't he? You walk up to Kathy's doorway a half hour later, hoping she'll understand. Hello, Keith. How are you, darling? All right, I guess. Something wrong? No, I guess not. I just talked with Uncle Matt. It's, uh, it's not quite the way I told you last night. He was appointed trustee of the estate, and I'm going to have to live at the Cedars. I know. Huh? I've just talked to your uncle on the phone. What, what did he call you about? To tell me about the will. He had no right to call you. I'm glad he did. You... You belong there with him, Keith. What do you mean? Please don't make it hard for me, dear. I, I've decided not to marry you. Oh, wait a minute. He didn't tell you everything. We're going to be married. You're coming there with me to live. There's no way he can stop it. Don't you see? I love you, Kathy. I want you there with please, me. Please, please, Keith. I, I've made up my mind. I'm not going to change it, that's all. What else did he say? Tell me, Kathy. Nothing. Nothing What else. made you change, then? You wanted to marry me last night. What made you change your mind? Keith, there was please. something else. He told you something else, some vicious, underhanded lie. No, no, Keith. I'll kill him. That's what I'll do. I'll kill him. Keith. Sorry I said that, Kathy. You'd better go now. Yeah. I guess you're right. Um, Kathy. 
Yes, Keith? Don't... Don't tell anyone what I just said, will you? Of course not. I'm sorry I said that. I said I'd kill him. With the prologue of Murder on Rourke Island, the Signal Oil Company brings you another strange tale by The Whistler. Just think, by the time next week's Whistler rolls around, it'll be 1947, and your car will be another year older. More than ever, it's going to need the more conscientious service that cars get at dealer-owned Signal service stations. And when I say more conscientious, let me show you what I mean. When signal dealers lubricate your car, for instance, they don't take chances on memory. No, sir. Instead, they check against Signal's factory-recommended lubrication chart, which shows every lubrication point on your car. And they use nine specialized signal oils and greases, so each part will have the exact type of protection it needs for long, trouble-free service. But do they stop there? No, sir. Just to make doubly sure not a single part has been overlooked, they check each point again which is why it's called Signal Double-Check Lubrication. Now, that's the kind of lube service you want when today's aging cars have to last until there are enough new ones to go around. And that's the kind of lubrication you get from your friendly, dealer-owned Signal service station. And now, back to the whistler. climax that morning in Kathy's apartment. All the hatred, the frustration, the rage against the idiotic demands of your father welled up inside you and exploded in a single remark. I said I'd kill him. And though you don't know it, the elements are all there, and a pattern is beginning to take shape for the murder on Rourke Island. Your life in prison is beginning all over again with Uncle Matt as the jailer instead of your father. Six days out of every seven, Keith. You're free to come and go as you wish, but six days out of every seven, you must live with Uncle Matt at the Cedars. <sighs> there you are, Keith. Thanks. Uh, I thought you'd like this room best. Nice view of Lake Washington out of the window here. Yeah, great hardly contain myself. We want you to be happy here. That in the will, too? What? Does it say I have to be happy? You don't have to stay here, Keith. You're of age. You can leave any time you want to. Let's not get into that again. Selling my soul for a half a million dollars, and I know it. You leave me alone? Of course. We'll have dinner at six. Don't worry. And so it begins again, Keith. And during the weeks that follow, your life falls into a rigid pattern. Breakfast at eight, dinner at six, evenings in the library with Uncle Matt poring over his stamp collection. And you know it will last as long as he lives. That only his death can bring you at last to the thing you suffered for. 
Before long, you realize the will to murder is somewhere inside you. But it's not until a night in early spring that it finally crystallizes into a plan. In many ways, it was like all the other nights. You and Uncle Matt in the library, the dull novel, the stamp collection. Oh, that halfpenny black. If I wasn't such a tightwad... What was that? Uh, just saying, if I wasn't such a tightwad, I'd buy that halfpenny black. Stamp dealer in town's got a fine used copy, but he wants $40 for it. Oh. Kind of quiet tonight. Yeah. Wouldn't be surprised if we had a little rain when the wind's from the southwest. Rain, rain sure, sure to follow. To follow. <laughs> Do I always say that? Every night at 8.55. You never miss. Going to bed? I got a headache. Any aspirin upstairs? Ought to be some in the medicine cabinet. Oh, thanks. I'll take a look. There isn't any aspirin in your medicine chest, so you try the one in Uncle Matt's bathroom. Find the aspirin on the lower shelf. Start to close the cabinet door. When your eye lights on a bottle, a prescription bottle, half hidden by the others, your hand shakes as you pick it up, examine it closely. And it's at that precise moment that all the elements come together to form the plan for a murder three months in the future on a tiny tree-covered dot in the middle of Puget Sound called Rourke Island. You are not much interested in your breakfast the next morning. Ah, these darn strikes. Wonder where it'll all end up. Excuse me, Uncle Matt. What's the matter? Aren't you going to finish your breakfast? I'm not very hungry. Uh, I thought I'd run down to the library. Do you mind? The library? Yeah, I heard about a book the other day, and <laughs> I... Sure, go ahead. Just bowled me over, I guess. The public library is the last place in the world I'd expect to find you. Yes, I, I know I haven't a card, but I don't want to take the book out. I, I just want to look at it here. What was the title again? Materia Medica. It's a textbook on drugs. That's a very interesting question. I, I don't mean to be stupid, Doctor, but... Oh, not at all. The drug is habit-forming, then. Oh, more than that. To a victim of certain forms of heart disease, it's like eating or breathing. It's the difference between life and death. How often do they take it? Oh, once a day, usually. And if they stopped? Heart failure, of course. How soon? Two days, possibly more. It depends. Well, thanks very much, Doctor. Oh, forget it. Always glad to help out a detective story writer. <laughs> you know, I'm quite a mystery fan myself. Hmm. Nine, one, eight, two, five. Hmm. Yeah, that's our number. I just wanted to double check. I probably filled that prescription myself. What did the card say? Mm, first filled February 14th. Dr. Talbot. For patient, Matthew Brandon. Let's see. That's all except for the name of the prescription, of course. Extract of Digitalis. Hello, Uncle Matt. Well, you must have done a lot of reading. Been gone all day. Oh, I had a few other things to do. Oh? 
Yeah, you, uh, you know what today is? Saturday. April 16th. Big day, isn't it? Keith, how did you know? Never forget a birthday. Here. An envelope? Be careful how you open that. Yes. Well, let's see. What? It's empty, isn't it? Look down in the corner there. Oh, a halfpenny black. That's right. Stance you've been wanting. Okay. I, uh, I don't know what to say, Keith. Let me say it, will you? I took a long walk today, Uncle Matt. I did a lot of thinking about you and me. I've been awfully wrong. I want things to be different now. I really believe you mean that, Keith. I do. Don't worry, boy. I... I always thought you had a great heart. Things will be different now. Yes, Keith, things will be different now. And you didn't lie to him. You did take a walk, and you did do a lot of thinking about how you were going to kill him this summer on Rourke Island. Murder him with a perfect, ingenious plan that had no possible chance of going wrong. The first thing, of course, is to get his confidence. And as spring changes into summer, you develop an interest in his stamp collection, go for walks with him along the lake, spend evenings together at the theater. And finally, on a day in early June, you decide he's ready. Uh, just look at the lake out there. You know, as long as I've lived here, I never tire of it. I don't think I could ever live away from water. You know, it, it makes me think of the summers you and Father and I used to spend on Rourke Island. I haven't been there for years. We still own it, don't we? Yes. The lodge is still there. The wharf, the dory. I suppose so. Let's go. Huh? Just you and I. We could do a little fishing, loaf around. Do you really want to? Well, of course I do. Look, you need a change, too. We could hire a boat to take us out there, bring bring food with us, and spend a week or ten days. Right, George, I... What about it? It's a deal. Three days later, as you stand on the jetty on Rourke Island and watch the boat moving out into the sound on its way back to Seattle, you realize that there's no way you can fail now. By the time the boat returns, Uncle Matt will be dead of heart failure. And at long last, the legacy will be yours. The doctor told you he couldn't last two days without digitalis. Nine should make it certain. After dinner, it seems an eternity before Matt yawns and finally suggests going to bed. Lie there, tense, until almost midnight. He's sound asleep now, breathing heavily as you quietly get out of bed and slip on your clothes. First, the small boat moored down at the jetty. Now this rope. There. That ought to do it. You cut it loose. Stand there a minute, watching it drift out with the tide. Then you hurry back to the house. On the kitchen table is the portable radio telephone Matt brought along as a safety measure. You take out the rectifier tube. 
walk quietly to the rear of the house where he can't hear. But the most important thing of all is the bottle of digitalis you'd seen him slip into his luggage when he thought you weren't looking. You carefully feel through the suitcase at the foot of his bed. Take it out. Make certain it's all he has. And then walk to the sink. You empty it. You fill it with water from the faucet. Five minutes later, it's back in place in the suitcase. There's nothing to do now but wait. How'd you like your eggs, Keith? Up easy. Right. Uh, got the table set? Where are the plates? They're on the stove, getting warm. Ah, smell that, boy? Nothing like the smell of bacon and eggs, is there? Here, let me help you dish up. Take care of the coffee, will you? You know, Keith? Yeah? We're going to have a great time together from now on, aren't we? What's the matter? Nothing. Let's sit down to breakfast, huh? The Whistler will return in just a moment with the strange ending of tonight's story. Tomorrow being New Year's Eve, most programs tonight are wishing you Happy New Year. And of course, we want to do the same. But just wishing doesn't always make a thing come true. That's why the Signal Oil Organization has asked me to go a step farther tonight and leave a thought with you which, if it saves just one life, will be well worth this moment of your time. New Year's Eve is one of the most hazardous nights of the year for drivers and pedestrians. Many people are at the wheel who shouldn't be. Cars are old, driving conditions are not good. If you don't absolutely have to go out, don't. But if you must drive, take it easy. Keep the speed down. Keep a sharp eye on other drivers and pedestrians. I know these are somber words for an occasion like this, but if all you friends of the Whistler will just remember them tomorrow night, it'll go a long way toward keeping some unnecessary auto accident from marring the happy new year, which we of the Signal Organization hope will be yours. And now, back to the Whistler. It's a little unusual to be sitting down to breakfast with a man you know is going to die in a day or two. Yes, it's all done now, isn't it? Your only chance of getting away from Roark Island vanished when you cut the boat adrift down at the dock and smashed the rectifier tube of the radio telephone Uncle Matt brought along for safety reasons. Yes, the murder has been committed already, hasn't it, Keith? It happened the moment you emptied his bottle of digitalis down the sink and refilled it with plain water. He might last 48 hours, but it's a good nine days until the boat comes back from the mainland, and you know it'll happen long before then. Halfway through breakfast, you look up from your plate to see him watching you, a quiet smile on his face. Your father never would have believed you could eat like that. <laughs> 
You know, Keith, you're a different boy now than the one he knew. Is that good or bad? It's wonderful. I'm going to do something I promised him I'd never do. I won't be with you forever. I think you can take it now. What do you mean? He was afraid you'd kill yourself if you ever found out about it. That's why he was so unreasonable about your staying home. Why he refused to let you marry. That's why he wanted me to take care of you. What are you talking about? See this? Did you tell us? I'm going to let you take care of it now. Matt. You'd better develop a lot of respect for it, Keith. You've been getting it secretly in your coffee for two years now. It's the only thing in the world that's keeping you alive. get the most driving pleasure in 1947, drive at sensible speeds, be courteous, and obey traffic regulations. You'll go farther and have a happier new year. Featured in tonight's story were David Ellis and Charles Seal. The Whistler was produced by George W. Allen, with story by Harold Swanton, music by Wilbur Hatch, and was transmitted to our troops overseas by the Armed Forces Radio Service. This is Marvin Miller speaking for the Signal Oil Company. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We've just heard a 1946 episode of The Whistler, Murder on Rourke Island. We remind you that WSHDLP Eastport is a non-commercial station and does not endorse any products. Now stay tuned for The Shadow, a 1938 episode entitled Gun Island. devotes his life to righting wrongs, protecting the innocent, and punishing the guilty. Cranston is known to the underworld as the Shadow. Never seen, only heard, his true identity is known only to his constant friend and aide, Margot Lane. Today's story, Gun Island. Ready? See, Captain Joe. <laughs> Even the sea works with us today, Erico. <laughs> Good old Caribbean. These waves, the poor fools will not know what we are doing until it is too late. See, Captain Joe. See, Captain Joe. See, Captain Joe. Can you say nothing but see, Captain Joe? What, what is there to say, Captain Joe? What is there to say? I make you reach. 
A little sure rat like you, and you have not even the brains and the head to know what I do for you. I do good always what you tell me, Captain. Now you know what to do. Uh, see, see, Captain. Well, say it, say it. Uh, when the right boat come along, we light oil in bow, in stern, and in hull. So they think we are on fire. And the signal you capitulate. The signal. See, see. We send up distress signal. And when the other ship, she come close. So we take two boats. So. Now remember all you say. One mistake on Santa Lalia, I cut your throat. See, see. I do like you say, Captain. Bueno. Everything she work all right. <laughs> Pretty soon we have fine boat for to have fun. <laughs> You like big new boat for fun, Erica? <laughs> well, pretty soon. Captain, Captain! Well, well, what? A ship, Captain. How about a ship? Quick, give me the glass. If you pull me... No, no, look for yourself, Captain. Santa Lalia. Captain Joe, what? It is the ship I wait for. See, 200 foot lines clean like hound that run after the rabbit. This, this is the ship I wait for, Rico. Quick! Give the order. Light the fire in the hold. Oil, plenty of it. Quick, we've got to be on fire in two minutes. Quick, I tell you, I cut your throat. See, Captain, your man, you will light the fire. As I was saying, Lamont, these long sea voyages are boring. Definitely, positively boring. I'm afraid I can't agree with you, Sir John. My dear boy, are you pulling my leg again? First you tell me you possess powers of hypnosis. And now the subject is ocean voyages. And you tell me they're not boring. But I can't seem to agree with you about anything. Well, I don't mean to be stubborn, sir, but I can't help feeling that there's a certain excitement about the water. My dear boy, facts are facts. I've owned this yacht for three years, sailed round the world on her. And outside of a few beastly storms, I might as well be riding on top of a London bus in Piccadilly Circus. <laughs> well, Sir John, I repeat, I don't agree with you. Take this part of the Caribbean Sea we're vacationing in now. Yes? Years ago, these waters were the happy hunting ground of Captain Kidd and Morgan and many other pirates who... Pirates? What's this about pirates? Oh, hello, Margot. Good morning, Miss Lacey. Good morning, Sir John. If you and Lamont were talking about pirates, I want to hear every bit of it. Perhaps you don't know it, but pirates are my favorite people. Well, look Perhaps... over there to starboard. Lamont, what is it? See? Smoke. Smoke? Well, ye yes, I see it. Fire. A ship on fire. Great Scott. That smoke, she must be ablaze from stem to stern. Now, Captain Cena. So... There isn't any more excitement left at sea, eh, Sir John? You know, Sir John, I've got a hunch that during these next few hours, as we Americans say, you're going to eat those words. Lamont, shall we go down and watch and take that other crew aboard? No, Margot, I... I want to watch this ship go under. Oh, it's horrible, isn't it? As if something living were dying. Yes. Lamont, what is the matter? I'm wondering why that ship is sinking so quickly. Oh, Lamont, you've got the most suspicious mind. Margo, here comes Sir John. He's bringing one of the survivors up here. Oh, isn't he the strangest looking man you ever saw? So, so fat and yet he moves so quickly. Oh, there you are, Lamont. Well, everyone who was on board that ship, 15 men, is safe and accounted for. 
Isn't that right, Captain? Si, senor. We are most grateful. Oh, yes, of course. I, I haven't made the introductions, have I? Miss Lane, uh, Mr. Cranston, this is Captain... Uh, uh, Captain... Oh, my name is most difficult. <laughs> uh, just call me Capitaine Joe. Oh, I, I, I do, will Captain indeed, Joe. Captain Joe. And speaking of captains, here comes our own captain. Well, Captain Nielsen, everything all right? Yes, sir, John. But we are having a little difficulty with the rescued men. They apparently don't speak English, and they refuse to go below deck with the result Look. that... Look, it's sinking. By George, the final plunge. There she goes. Well, Captain Joe, your ship is gone. That is not right, senor. What do you mean, sir? It just went under the water. See, but I got a new ship. Oh, maybe I forgot to tell you, eh? Well, that is too bad. Well, I tell you now, senor, senorita, this is my new ship. What, what are you talking about? Lamar, did you hear what he said? Yes, I heard. But I think it's up to Captain Nielsen to handle this. Thank you, Mr. Granston. But I'm sure this gentleman is having a joke. After all, as a man of the sea, he knows there cannot be two captains on a ship. You make one mistake, senor. And what is that? There is only one capitaine Captain on the Captain Nielsen, look out! Oh! oh, he shot Captain Nielsen. Stand where you are, the three of you. That shooting, what does it mean? Stand where you are, I tell you. That shooting, <laughs> it is my man. Arranging matters so that we do not have too big a crew on my new boat. You murdering devil! <gasps> oh, Sir John. Yes, so now he is dead. So maybe nobody talks so much, eh? And now, adios. I go up on bridge and take my new boat where I want to take her. I got important business. Adios, my friend. Oh, Lamar. Steady, dear. Sir John and Captain Nielsen dead. All this shooting, it's unbelievable. We're all at the mercy of this devil, Margot, for the present. But when I find out a few things... Oh, what is there to find out? This, this beast is nothing but a pirate. I think this is more than piracy. This Captain Joe looks cunning. He knows a pirate on the high seas these days wouldn't have a chance. No, Margot. He wanted this ship for something else. To carry perhaps a strange cargo... And when I find out what it is, Captain Joe and his fellow murdering devils will meet the shadow. It's, it's an island, Lamont. Yes, a very small one. I don't imagine it's even on the chart. Lamont, he's going to maroon us here. Yeah, I doubt that. But I... Look over the side. They're loading everything valuable this ship had into the launch. If we're to go to the island, we won't be alone. Here comes that devil. Quick, my friends, quick. We are waiting for you. Uh, may I ask where we're going? You have talked enough. Come. You and the senorita, come. We go ashore to my island. Here I am the capitan. There I am king. Get out of the boat. You two, girl, out. All right. You don't have to wave that gun. I can see it. Come on, Motto. I'll help you ashore. Thank you, Lamont. You stand still and peer. 
You try run one step, Rico, he shoot you down. See, si, Captain Joe. All right, Dombrez. Unload everything. Margot, I'll have to talk fast. I'm going to leave you now. Lamont, what are you going to do? I'm going into the shadows and find out what that fat sadistic devil is up to. Be careful, Lamont. Hey, where he go? Where is he? I... I don't know. Where he go? You tell me where he go. But I, I don't know. I tell you, I don't know. But I watch you all the time. One minute he here, then he not here. Where he go, you tell me, or I feel you full of lead and feed you to defeat. No, no, don't you, please. I, I don't know where he is. Captain I... Joe. Hey, who called my name? I'm over this way. This way. Oh, Cranston. So you run away when I turn my head, eh? <laughs> You hide behind rocks. <laughs> you think I chase you, eh? This way. This way. Oh, no. Me? I don't chase you, Cranston. <laughs> no. Me and my crew, we have good time pretty soon. <laughs> Hunt you down like wild peak. <laughs> but you, senorita. Put that gun down, please. Oh, don't worry. <laughs> I don't kill you yet, my pretty senorita. I don't kill you yet. Captain Joe say for you to come out. All right. Here she is, Captain Joe. Good morning, Senorita Lane. Oh, the lantern lights you at your eyes, eh? Oh, she is very dark in your new little house on the ground, eh, my friend? What a pity. What do you want? Uh, all through the night, we look for that Mr. Cranston. All over the island, we look. And you didn't find it? No, we didn't find him. What do you want with me? Well, I just think... Maybe if I start kill you, maybe Mr. Cranston come back. That's smart, no? <laughs> so as soon as they're done, I'll be back for you. All right, Rico? <laughs> Put their bad... Here, <laughs> Captain Joe. In, senorita. All right. Margo. 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 It's been pretty bad, hasn't it? Oh, Lamont, how long have you been here? Only since the captain told you that you were going to be a decoy to catch me. Now listen, Margot. My hunch was right. What do you mean? What have I told you that Captain Joe and his cutthroats live like kings? I don't understand. Like kings, I tell you. Their living quarters, every conceivable luxury, electricity, plumbing, furniture, rugs, everything the finest. And they are pirates. Oh, no, Margot. Not at all. Someone built and furnished this place for them. Cutthroats living in luxury on an island in the middle of the Caribbean Sea. What possible significance has this place that someone should outfit and house these men here? But haven't you been able to find what's back of all this? No, I haven't. And yet my hunch is stronger than ever that it's something big. Margot, you've got to help me. Anything you say, Lamar. When the captain comes for you at dawn, get him to talk about this place, why he's here, what it's all about. If you can get him boasting, I might get a clue to work on. These men live in luxury here. Who put them here and why? Margot... The shadow has got to find out. Senorita Lane, come. Is it... Is it dawn? See, si. and 
I come for you myself and come. I'll go with you, Captain Joe. That's plenty smart. All right, walk. Walk. Well. Oh. Oh. Oh, this sand. She's hard walk through, eh, Senorita? <laughs> Don't you worry. <laughs> you done walk far. What? What was that? Keep walking, keep walking. You've got to tell me. Who who is it? Who scared you, eh? That's Rico, shoot it. Captain, it isn't Mr. Cranston. Your boyfriend. <laughs> Too bad for you, it ain't, eh? Just somebody's sailor's report breaking the boat. Rico, he have fun. Is <laughs> killing women part of your business, too? Oh, no. I like beautiful women, but I got much better business. You haven't got brains enough to be in business. No. You're just a cheap pirate. Not so. It's perfectly obvious. Oh, I suppose you'll tell me that you've got big plans and schemes and all the rest of it. But I repeat again, I don't think you've got a brain in your head to think up any plans. I ain't got no brains, eh? You come over this way. I show you. I show you. All right. All right. In here, smart girl. In here. But but there's no door. The blank wall into the hill. <laughs> Sometimes wall, she is door too. <laughs> Watch. Press little button. So. The wall. Swinging back. So. I know got brands, eh? All right. Down the steps. Go down, I tell you. Oh. oh, it's so dark. After what you see down there, it's going to be more dark for you. Keep walking. <laughs> so, we are here. Now I show you who's got the brand. Now I make light. So. Oh. Ah. No, smart girl, look. Look good. Because when you finish look, you die. The walls piled high with bombs. And so I bring them here, every one. They're aerial bombs. That's right. Row on row on row. And those over there, those are torpedoes? Yes, smart girl, thousands, eh? Thousands of bombs and torpedoes. But, but why? Why? You want to know everything, eh? Look at the name stamped on the bottom of the bombs. Look, I tell you. Oh. Why should... Why should that country store bombs here? Still want to know everything, eh? Well, I get chick out of telling you. Well? This island, she's not very far from the United States, is it? I mean, she is just a little jump compared to how far it is from your country to other countries. Oh. Maybe United States should get real tough someday and somebody wants to drop bomb on New York. <laughs> if the planes fly to this island, then load on bombs, <laughs> it is very easy to fly to New York, eh, Senorita? Oh, no. So, maybe I got friends, eh, Senorita? Maybe you haven't, Captain. Who said that? Who's here? Who said that? They call me the Shadow. Shadow? Shadow? What Shadow? Who's talking? Where are you hiding? I'm standing right next to you. Nobody next to me? Senorita, you hear somebody speak? You hear? Yes. No, you lie. Can't see nobody. 
Nobody can talk. I will you not to see me, and yet you hear me. Who are you? Who? To some I come as the voice of conscience. To some like you, the voice of justice. Senorita, you must tell me you hear what he say, too. Yes, yes, of course I do. Someone in this room? I don't see him. So, this is a bomb and torpedo depot for a foreign power to use in case of a war with America. Where are you? If I could see you, I kill you. Empty planes can fly further. How convenient to have these bombs and torpedoes waiting here across the ocean. And you're in charge of it all, eh, Captain? Sure, sure I am in charge. The big bosses, they give the orders from other country. <laughs> what they do, 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 do no good without me. I know everything. I got good brain. Figure out anything. Figure out how to kill you, Shadow. If this is your business, custodian of death, why did you go out and capture Sir John's ship? Because I get tired waiting here for something to happen. I got to have fun. My old boat's too old. <laughs> so I go out and get new boats. When a man, he's got friends. He can always make money and have fun. And I have my fun now. So. The door. Shut. The door. I touch secret button. It's shut. And nobody, nobody can open it. Oh, let go of me. This shadow? <laughs> she don't like I got my arm around her. But you see what is in my hand, eh, shadow? A hand grenade. What are you going to do? Maybe you don't like see girls blow apart, eh, shadow? That show you more than voice. Maybe you got soft heart, eh, my friend? The bomb, don't. Don't pull the release ring? Well, that all depends. If you set that hand grenade off, you'll die too. <laughs> you think maybe I am afraid to die, eh, Shadow? I know that if this bomb go off, everybody on island die when the rest of ammunition explodes. And if you touch me, if you don't let me back up slow to the door and get out shantelily, I swear it, I set the bomb off and we all blow to beach. Put that hand grenade down. <laughs> Oh, you worry now, eh, Shadow? Put the grenade down on the floor. I am starting to back up out of here, Shadow. If your voice come close to me, if I feel you near me, I pull the ring and blow us all up, I swear it. Look ahead of you, Captain. You're getting sleepy. What you say, Shadow? You're getting sleepy, Captain. Sleepy. Sleepy. Yes, Sleepy, Captain. What? So sleepy. What? What you talk? Sleepy. Sleepy. You're tired. Sleepy. Very sleepy. He's, he's hidden tired. Sleepy. The grenade in your hand is heavy. So very heavy. You put it down on the floor carefully... Very carefully on the floor. On the floor. Now, now you will listen and do exactly as I tell you. Exactly as I tell you. Exactly as you tell me. That secret button that opens the door. Press that button. Press that button. Come on, quickly. Let's get out of here. No. Captain is taking us out of here. Now listen to me closely, Captain. You 
would take Miss Lane by the arm. Miss Lane by the arm. Take her out of here, up the stairs, and down to the pier. Out of here and down to the pier. Put her on board the launch, and you will order one of Sir John's sailors to take her out to the yacht. You will do exactly as I say. Take her out to the yacht. Do exactly as you say. Go with him, Margot. But you... The shadow still has work to do. How long are we going to keep circling the island? Let's get out of here. Grady, we've got to wait for Mr. Cranston. Yeah, but those devils back there will be coming out after us. It was a miracle getting this far, that crazy Captain Joe putting under the boat. We must wait for Mr. Cranston. They'll get us, I tell you. Take us back. Shoot us down like they did the rest. Let's head out to sea. Let him do as he wants, Margot. Lamont. Huh? What'd you say? You can head out to sea now. Okay. Here we go. You're letting Captain Joe, all of them, get away? I've given them a chance to get away. I doubt if they'll take it. What do you mean? What time is it, Margot? My watch is stopped. Wet from swimming here. It's almost five. What's going to happen, Lamont? I left the captain under hypnosis. The last thing I told him was to warn his men to leave the island within five minutes. Apparently, they think he's drunk or crazy. They're all down on the pier. They haven't left. But why? Why should they go? Twelve seconds to go. Lamont, what is it? Why should they go? Ten more seconds. Margot... Tell Grady to hold tight to the wheel and open the engine up full. But what? Don't ask questions. Tell him. Grady, hold tight to the wheel and open the engine up full. Anything you say, ma'am. One more second. But Lamont, what is it? What is it? I just climbed in the boat. I, I fused one of their bombs before I left the island. Everything on the island wiped out. Well, I gave them that chance, Margot. They didn't take it. Better that way. The world can well afford to lose men who, for money, would jeopardize the peace of America, the peace of the world. Yes. They died the way they were willing others should die. Their greed, their treachery to mankind, might have killed and maimed innocent citizens, crippled industries, Lane waste, great cities. Sometimes when there isn't justice in life, Margot, there is justice in death. This has been a dramatized version of one of the many copyrighted stories which appear in the Shadow magazine, now on sale at your local newsstand. All the characters and all the places named are fictitious. Any similarity to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. The weed of crime bears bitter fruit. Crime does not pay. The shadow knows. <laughs> You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We've just heard a 1938 episode of The Shadow. 
entitled Gun Island. We remind you that WSHDLP Eastport is a non-commercial station and does not endorse any products. concludes today's show. On behalf of Around the World's staff of researchers, recording engineers, interns, and Victrola technicians, this is Cracklin' Jane. Thank you, and see you next week!
because you know. This is Joan Loudon, a.k.a. The Bass Lady, inviting you to join me every Wednesday from 3 to 4.30 p.m. for The Bass Lady Presents. With a different weekly theme from jazz to Celtic, from Newgrass to New Orleans, it's always a mix of great music. That's every Wednesday from 3 to 4.30, with a repeat airing on Saturdays from 4 to 5.30 p.m., right here on 93.3 FM, WSHDLP, Eastport, Maine. I'm all about that bass. Hey, have I got a radio show for you. Old Coasting comes at you twice a week. Thursday at 8, Sunday at 4, right here on WSHDLP in Eastport, Maine, 93.3 FM. On Bold Coasting, we don't just play the music, uh, we like to talk about it a little bit, too. It's music and commentary. It's a radio show with liner notes. Your kids can ask your parents what that means. Mad Pad. Mad Pad. Tune in every Saturday night at 7 and again on Tuesdays at 8 for Philly Joe Remarkable's Mad Pad right here on WSHDLP Eastport, Maine, 93.3 on your FM dial. Man, take this crazy pad. Man, it's a mad pad. Listening to WSHDLP Eastport, broadcasting from the hallowed hallways of Shed High School. Tune in Mondays 4 to 6 p.m. for Around the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane, featuring historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world, plus radio dramas from the golden age of radio. If you miss the show, don't despair. There's a repeat broadcast on Fridays, 6 to 8 p.m., and if you miss that, just go to www.cracklinjane.com and download or stream the show at your leisure. Come on by Sam's Caffeine Cafe every Tuesday and Thursday morning from 8 until 10 a.m. I'm Sam, the proprietor. I keep all the tables clean. There are no sesame seeds on the floor, no schmutz from the night before, just good music. The first hour, a little bit softer, some Americana, folk, blues, a little bit of jazz, but by 9 o'clock, we are amped up on caffeine. We're playing up-tempo music all hour long. It's a grab bag. It's a fun place to hang out, and we would love to have you. We would. Please come by 93.3 WSHDLP Eastport. 